In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, uh, the devil attacks the church in two ways, two main ways. And the first way is that he tries to attack your faith in God through false doctrine. He tries to get you to reject the things that God has said and to believe things that he hasn't said. And I've warned you about false doctrine in the past and how dangerous this is and how the devil uses this to destroy churches. Uh, But I'm going to focus on the second way that the devil attacks the church. And the second way he attacks the church is through your love for one another. If the devil cannot destroy faith in God, then he tries to turn you against each other. And he does this by stirring up useless controversy and divisions and factions and then drives us to be spiteful and unloving to one another. And that is what this sermon will be about on the epistle lesson, the devil's second attack on the church, the attack to be unloving. Now, this is what happened to the church in Corinth. The Corinthians were plagued by divisions in the church, both in doctrine and in love. And so this is why Paul's letter to the Corinthians has so many exhortations. Listen to to how he begins the epistle. He says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you. Again, in chapter three, he says, look, you are still of the flesh for while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Uh, And there were many other problems uh, that we see throughout the uh, letter to the Corinthians. And the issue was that they were all putting themselves first above their neighbor. And some had different positions of authority, different gifts in the church. And they looked down at those who didn't, those who were beneath them. And so they thought they were spiritually better than others. And so then they treated them as such. Okay, so that is what's going on at Corinth. There was no love, only competition and arrogance. And thus, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the epistle lesson for today, where Paul writes this. And right before that lesson began, these are the words he writes. He says, are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do all work miracles? No. Do all possess gifts of healing? No. Do all speak with tongues, that is other languages? No. Do all interpret? No. The answer is no to all of this. Not everyone has the same gift and ability. And so Paul then says this, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And that higher gift, that more excellent way, he then says is love. Love is putting your neighbor before yourself, thinking more highly of him than you think of yourself. Now, that is what 1 Corinthians 13 is about. I know that this text uh, is typically read at weddings. It's not a bad thing, I suppose. But the point is that the love that Paul is writing about here is not about the love between a husband and a wife. It's actually about the love between members, that love between Christians that they should have for one another. And yes, this encompasses, uh, this includes husbands and wives, but this chiefly and primarily uh, what the love, the love that you're to find in the church. 
It's about the love you are to have for the people sitting in the pew next to you, uh, sitting across the church from you. The love you're to have with those whom, with whom you disagree with in the same church. The ones who have been baptized in the same water, who hear the same word, who drink from the same chalice and eat the same bread, the body of Christ, as you do. That is what Paul writes about. Now, he says, look, uh, God has blessed Christians with many gifts and abilities. And however, all of, uh, of all these possible gifts, the greatest of these and the highest and the chief gift is that of love. And that is something he gives to all Christians. So this is why Paul says it this way. He says, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong, a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And so Paul is saying, look, even if I was the best, most talented, most skillful and articulate Christian in the world, but I did not love, then it would be for nothing. And this is the truth, that all of your abilities are worthless if there is no love behind them. Everything you do, then, counts for nothing without love. Uh, What good is strength, for example, without love? If you're the strongest person in the world, but you don't love others, then what purpose does your strength serve? In fact, you can harm others. It would be hatred. Your strength would be used against others to abuse, to intimidate. Well, the same thing goes with all the other gifts. What good is intelligence and knowledge without love? So what if you're smarter than everyone else, everyone other, every other person in the world, but without love, your intelligence does not help people, but puts them down. It lifts yourself up. What good is it to be good and articulate at speaking and yet not have love? To be a good speaker and to be persuasive without love is just manipulation. Having a position of authority but not having love leads to corruption. Even your generosity is worthless without love. Generosity without love is a show. It's an opportunity for self-promotion. So this, this happens with every single possible gift you have. Now, even more, if you think that you're more, a more mature Christian than others because of your abilities, uh, then actually you prove yourself to be more immature than others. When you turn against each other, uh, turn against other Christians in slander or gossip or arrogance, you prove yourself to be an infant in the faith, a spiritual child. And this is the point, that God has given you all gifts and strengths and abilities. This is true, but they can only be used rightly in the sphere of love. And that is because your talents and your skills and your attributes, even your body, is only good and used rightly when you use it to serve the other. When you use it for the other's benefit, not for your own benefit. That is why God has given you any ability at all. 
Every other reason for doing something is wrong. It's a sin that destroys everyone else. So God exhorts you to love and that this love that you have for each other is a greater marker of your spiritual maturity than anything else. Now, before I go on to tell you what love is, I want to take a moment to tell you what it is not. Love does not mean that anything goes. Love does not mean that there's no such thing as sin or rebuke or correction or discipline. In fact, the opposite is true. Love disciplines, it corrects, it rebukes, it calls to repentance. To tell someone to repent of their sins is the loving thing to do. It is the Christian thing to do. God is love and he tells us to repent. He calls us to repentance. God is love and he disciplines us. If you, so, so for example, if you see your child about to touch the hot stove, you smack his hand out of the way. Why? Not because you don't love him, but precisely because you do love him. Because you don't want him to burn himself. You don't want him to get, uh, to get hurt. <clears throat> I'm not saying it's okay for you to smack each other uh, in these, in these uh, situations. But the point is that calling someone to repentance is then the loving thing to do. Telling them that they're, they're falling into a sin that's going to destroy their salvation is the loving thing to do. <clears throat> okay, with that being said, what is love? Paul then says it. He says, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Here Paul gives 15 statements, and not one of them has to do with how you feel. They all have to do with what you do, how you act, how you behave. In other words, love is not simply a feeling. Love is an action, a verb, a thing that happens externally. Now, I want to give, uh, I, I want to say something here. Uh, one of the most common reasons why people give for leaving the church is this, that the church is full of hypocrites. Right. Uh, we, we've, we've all heard this. And, and what they mean to say is this. Look, you guys come together and you talk and you study and you hear sermons about loving even your enemies. And yet you guys can't even get through a church meeting or a gathering without someone raising their voice or interrupting or someone crying or falsely accusing of evil intent and ulterior motives, or someone getting upset. And more often than not, yes, that is the case. I mean, you're not, I mean the point is you're not going to find a church that doesn't have this, that's not plagued by sin. And it's not a legitimate reason to leave the church or abandon Christ. You don't abandon Christ and give up salvation because your neighbors are tough to deal with. You don't do that. However, whenever a church meeting goes bad, whenever there are divisions in the church, little factions and groups, it is because at the very root of it, there is no love. There is no putting the neighbor above the self. 
It, it is always the case that someone is being impatient or unkind or envious or boastful or arrogant or rude because someone is insisting on their own way, being irritable, resentful, rejoicing at wrongdoing, upset at the truth. It's because we won't bear, believe, hope, or endure something. And that is why some will leave the church because of this behavior. And so... What you are to do is to live in such a way that you don't give anyone this reason. That you take this reason away. That you don't give anyone the chance to even make this accusation. And that you don't give them a cause to even leave on account of this. That you're to live your life and to behave in such a way that they don't even see this. Now, I know it's hard, and I know it's hard to do because our sinful nature clings to us and plagues our flesh. And it's not just clinging to our flesh, but the flesh of the people next to us. So the reason loving others is so hard, the reason Paul had to write those words was precisely because the church in Corinth was plagued by it. And every church is. And that's why it's always relevant. Now, these, the, 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 the problem is, is that the people around you, uh, including yourself, may be... Uh, unloving, maybe not so lovely. Um, there are people who, in fact, that are unlovely, unloving, and frankly, very difficult to get along with. That's the reality. As for you, don't be that person. Don't be the one who is unloving. Don't act in such a way that you make it difficult for people to love you. And yet, even if your neighbor is very difficult to love, then that is precisely when love shines the brightest. That is precisely when the rubber meets the road. What good is it to love those who only love you back? To love those who are nice and kind? Even the heathen does this. Even the unbeliever does this. But Christ has called you to do what? To love even your enemies. To bless those who persecute you. To outdo one another in showing honor. Now, when we think about the love that God calls us to have, we can't help but remember all the times we didn't love this way. Uh, we see our failure to love, how we've embarrassed ourselves, how, we, how ashamed we are because of this behavior. And I can sit here and tell you until I'm blue in the face that you ought to love one another. And every preacher in the world could come here and do the same, that it is your duty that you owe to one another. And yet, no matter how sternly and earnestly I command it, the demand to love won't give you the power to love. The law tells you to love, but it cannot give you the ability to love. And that's because only the gospel can do this. Only Jesus can turn your heart into one that is full of love. So to prove this to you, Consider Luke chapter 7. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus goes to the house of a Pharisee while he's eating there. Uh, a woman who's either an adulteress or a prostitute sees Jesus. She kneels down before Jesus' feet, his dirty and dusty feet, and she wets them with the tears from her eyes. And she dries them with the strands of her hair. And the Pharisee looked at this and he got upset and he goes, what is wrong with you? Do you even know who's touching you? Do you even know who this woman is? And then Jesus says this parable. He says this. He says, a certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, 
and the other 50. When they both couldn't pay, he canceled the debt for both of them, the one of the greater debt and the one of the lesser debt. Now, which one of these will love him more? And Peter said, the one who had the larger debt that was forgiven, the one who owed more. And Jesus says this, then he he says, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. Therefore, she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And this is what Jesus is saying. If you are forgiven little, then you will love little. If you think you have no sin, then you will also have no love for one another. If you think your sin is little, then you think the forgiveness you need is little, and then your love for others will be little. If you think you need a little bit of forgiveness, then you will only have a little bit of love for your neighbor. If you think you've deserved a place in heaven, then you will treat others as if they deserve a place, in, as if they need to deserve a place in your heart or a place in your life. If you don't take to heart the forgiveness that God gives you in Christ, then you will never have the ability to truly love those around you. And the more you distance yourself from God's forgiveness in Christ, the worse and more unloving of a person you will be, the less patient you will be, the less kind you will be. And this means that the opposite is also true. This woman was forgiven much, and therefore Jesus says she loved much because of that. And that means that if you know how great your sin is, then you will know how great your Savior is and your love for your neighbor will then be great. If you want your love for others to increase, then you must first receive the love of God in Christ, the forgiveness of sins. The more you hear and receive Christ's forgiveness for your sins, the more you're going to love those around you. If you want to love, in fact, if you want to increase your love for your spouse, If you want to love your husband better, if you want to love your wife better, if you want to love your children better, if you want to love each other better, your neighbors, even your enemies, people who have sinned against you, if you want that love to be stronger in you, then you first do what? You look at how much God has loved you. And you see that he was patient and kind with you in your sin against him. You see how Christ, even though he had all authority and power, never envied or boasted. He was not arrogant or rude. He didn't insist on his own way, but he humbly followed and obeyed the Father's will. And he laid down his life for you, for your benefit. And you see how Christ isn't angry with you. Not for a second, not for one sin. He forgave it all. And he doesn't rejoice in your sins, but he forgives you and he heals you and he saves you from them. And you see how he bore and endured all things, the thorns, the nails, the spit on his face, and the shame for you. And that is love. And the more you receive this love in Christ first, the more you receive his body and blood for your forgiveness and apprehend it through faith, the more, the more you love and be patient and kind and will endure all things. When the devil attacks the church by turning us against each other, the thing we need most is the forgiveness of sins which will heal our broken hearts. 
First John chapter four says this. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because he first loved us. Your love for one another does not earn God's love. Rather, your love for one another comes from God's love that is already there for you. And if God has loved you despite your great mountain of sins that you could never repay him, then you can love your neighbor despite his little sin against you. To close, I want to say this. Um, Paul writes at the very end, he says, Faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. This is because faith is temporary. Because soon you will see with your own eyes what Jesus has promised. And hope is temporary because soon you won't have to hope anymore, but you will have the things he promised. But love is not temporary. Love will not turn into anything else. Love will remain And when Jesus returns, he won't take that love away, but he will purify it and strengthen it. And he'll perfect it. So dear saints, God bless you in this Lenten season for these next 40 days. May God increase your faith in him and your love for one another. And may God bless you this Lenten season and improve you and bless you with the greatest spiritual gift as you meditate upon how much the Lord has loved you as he poured himself out for you, how patient and kind he was to you, to forgive you and give you the crown of life. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.